guilty on all three charges. The officer from the George Floyd killing was found guilty yesterday. Sigh of relief. Sigh of relief. I mean, you just never know with the way things are, even though there's a video and everyone saw it and it seemed pretty obvious. I just didn't know for sure which way it was going to go. I think no one knew. And when that verdict came down after, what did they say, 11 hours? I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's guilty. Because usually if it's a really long time, then it's not guilty or a hung jury and the judge or whoever had said there was a decision made. And then we found out guilty. There's a lot to unpack here. So let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk, stories and observations beyond small talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and thank you so much for clicking. The George Floyd case. Yesterday was, as they teach us to say, an historic day. A day that will go down in history, for sure. I mean... I didn't know which way it was going to go just because of the way things are. It may seem obvious. There's a video. Everyone saw it. But who knew? Who knew which way this case was going to go? And then when it was announced that after 11 hours, the jury had reached a decision. At least I knew they weren't a hung jury. But I thought to myself, hmm, 11 hours. Usually something that amount of time means guilty. Anything longer where it's days, you either get a hung jury or you get not guilty or some kind of split decision. So the fact that Derek Chauvin, I think is how you pronounce his last name, was found guilty on all three charges is a beautiful thing. I feel like justice was served. I mean, this is this is something that everyone, most people have an opinion on. And as a matter of fact, I've actually never seen the entire video. It, it was just oh, too painful to watch. I mean, it's pretty unavoidable if you watch any news to have not seen some of it. I've seen him, Derek Chauvin, kneeling on George Floyd's neck, but I did not watch the entire video. Just too painful. I, I just couldn't. And I don't know, maybe now that justice has been served, I can go back and watch it and just truly understand and see for myself what was done. Because before it felt like, well, gee, if he gets off, it I don't know, I'll just be beside myself. Because there's case after case after case after case after case where, you know, police brutality or murder isn't deemed as murder. It was, oh, the police officer was scared. There was a gun. They thought there was a gun. There was something that, that happened that we didn't see. We don't understand. Not guilty. I mean, Rodney King got his ass beat 
back in the whatever that was 90s kicked in and beat up by LAPD and I think CHP not guilty and I think there's so much when I said in the cold open there's so much to unpack here and for me obviously this is important to me as a black female but what touches me the most is that I see white people or Latinos or people of all races, Asians, whoever, that are like, because of this case, my eyes are opened to my privilege. My eyes are opened to the plight. My eyes are opened. I don't just say, well, he was a criminal. Like, why didn't he just comply? Like, I mean, if he hadn't run from the cops, he wouldn't be dead. If he hadn't charged this or that, if he hadn't whatever, they take an extra moment or two to really see what's out there. They've opened their eyes to the systemic racism that exists in police departments all across America. And so for me, that is the biggest gain from all of this. George Floyd, who, from my understanding, had a drug problem, um, had a rap sheet for heinous and terrible crimes. It's not that we are celebrating him. We are not celebrating, at least I can speak for myself, I do not celebrate criminals and thieves, but the way the American system is set up, you are innocent until proven guilty. And everyone gets their day in court. And the minute a police officer or police officers start murdering suspects in the street, they instantly become judge, jury, and executioner. That's not the American system. So I get it. Many white people are like, but they were criminals. Like, why are we celebrating this guy? Like, he's no hero. No one's saying he's a hero. But he didn't deserve to be murdered in the street. Somebody had a, um, a, a meme that I saw that I thought was just perfectly profound. If that had been a dog under Derek Chauvin's neck, everyone would have been up in arms. Everyone. Oh my God, that's terrible. Put him under the jail. Hang him. He's, how could you do that to a dog? A dog doesn't know. Wow, that's terrible. But a human being. And it's up for debate because he's got a criminal rap sheet. Look, I don't want to hang out with criminals. I don't want to support criminals. I think that if you're stealing because you have a drug habit, you're a problem with our society. But you don't deserve to be murdered in the street by a police officer. They are to protect and serve. That's it. George Floyd doing something, get him under control, handcuff him, take him downtown, and then go from there. That's it. That's all that police officers are supposed to do. Now, let me be clear. I don't for one second think that being a police officer is easy. Not for one second. I myself could never do that job. I don't think I could even be married to a guy who could because I'd be worried whether or not he was coming home every night. So my heart goes out to women and men who are married to or in relationships with 
police officers because you don't know what's going to happen to them or what kind of stuff they see or what they bring home or how, you know, they might be some of the good cops out there and they might get shit on because of the bad cops. It's a hard job. I will never completely understand, but I've watched cops and um, what is it? Live PD. Check out that. If you're ever watching YouTube, just look up live PD. They put together all the compilations of all the stuff that they do. The show itself, which used to be on A&E, was eh, was kind of boring. But when you look at the compilations on YouTube, it's really interesting. And some of the times you're like, what is with these cops? And they are being recorded. And other times you're like, what is with this suspect? This cop is treating him with dignity and respect, and he's just being a piece of garbage to the police officer. So I have empathy for good, decent police officers and for good, decent policing. But I don't have empathy for the thin blue line. What is it they say? Like these cops that don't turn in the dirty cops, you're just as bad. So knowing that this man is now going to face jail time is a great step in the right direction. Derek Chauvin took the life of a citizen that he's hired to protect and serve. The service part is to basically get these criminals under control and arrested. And that's it, not to kill them. And obviously to protect the common good. When you're killing people, not protecting anyone. There are so many different perspectives that have been out there about this. There's some people who are like, oh, I just, I don't, I don't get involved. I just can't. And then there's people who are marching or did march in the streets and everything in between. And it was such a, what's the word? It just gave me such a sense of peace when I was just looking all over, you know, Instagram and some stuff on Facebook. Instagram, at least for me, I have a variety of people I follow, like most of us, celebrities, some friends, because most of my friends I follow on um, Facebook. And then Instagram's more like just social and celebrities with a smattering of a few friends. And it was thing after thing after thing, post after post after post about George Floyd. And it just made me feel good. I mean, some celebrities are deafeningly silent about anything political because they don't want to hurt their brand. And I get that. But I feel like we're beyond that now because race isn't political. It's become political, but at its core, race and racism is about humanity. And I've talked about this before in other podcasts, but I think we've lost sight of that. Humans interacting with humans is not something that we shouldn't talk about. We should always be talking about it. The idea that race is something that we shouldn't talk about You know, like I've said before, we don't want to talk about race, we don't want to talk about religion, and we don't want to talk about politics, because you might offend somebody. Politics, I get it. 
most of the time you're not going to change anybody's mind and so be it if you don't. Um, religion, you're probably not going to change any mind, anybody's mind and so be it if you don't. If somebody chooses to be Muslim, chooses to be atheist, chooses to be Christian, okay, great, good for them. But race and racism, that is a blight on America. And we're not even going to talk about the world, just speaking about America. It is a problem. It is a systemic problem. And a lot of times my white friends will be like, well, I mean, do you really, Jody? do you really think that there's systemic racism in the police department? Like there's a bunch of racist cops. And I think it's important to define systemic racism. And I've talked about this before. And while, you know, I suppose we can Google it and look up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, but from my perspective, it's about all the rules and things that are put in place that hurt black and brown people. The things that dehumanize black and brown people. And a lot of times when I hear some of my white friends saying, oh my God, that's racist against white people. What about the police brutality against white people? Sure, that's terrible. But you don't see a system of black cops killing and abusing white suspects. If you did, all hell would break loose. And there are plenty of black cops out there. So it could happen, but statistically it does not. So if you, if, if someday there was some even Steven where it's like, well, you know, the same number of uh, black suspects are killed as there are white suspects, then maybe we could have a conversation, but it's exponentially different. It's exponentially greater. And I think, by now, most of us know this, but some people refuse to accept that. White people, some white people in particular. You know, I was thinking too, when it comes to systemic racism, there's little subtle things. And <clears throat> one thing that kind of stood out to me was a particular TV show. And I watched, I watched a little bit of this particular TV show when I was, I don't know, 19. And then they did a reboot of this show. And I was watching a few episodes. It was kind of a, I don't know, kind of silly sitcom. And for me, whenever on Netflix, whenever there's these kind of I just call them yuck, yuck, hide, the, hide behind the couch humor, where those sitcoms are so unrealistic that I just, they're not even that funny, but they're good kind of white noise in the background. And so a lot of times I'll put those on and fall asleep because I'm not really paying attention. But one day I was watching an episode of this sitcom and I was like, they're doing the sort of stereotypical black accent or black affect. And this particular show almost never has any black people on it, ever. And it's in a major city. 
that has tons of diversity. And yet on this show, it is squeaky. I won't even say squeaky clean because you can be squeaky clean and be black. It, it is pure as the driven snow, whitey, white, white. And yet here they are, the main characters doing these black accents. That is part of the systemic racism because you're so, quote, in touch with black culture that you can mimic us, but you can't hire us to be part of the story. And if you do, we're like the police officer, the nurse, the doctor, the sort of nondescript character that could be played by anyone that doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you what this sitcom is, and I would like to see what you think. And I love hearing from you guys when we come back right after this break. Stay with me. Welcome back to Big Time Small Talk. Thank you guys for staying tuned in. Before we continue on, I do want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for every single one of you who tune in and have continued to tune in, or if this is your first time, thank you. I truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Growing this show has been a passion of mine. If you could, please click subscribe. That little button, you know it well, as the kids say, smash that subscribe button. You can go ahead and do that right now, please. You can also follow me on Instagram at Jody Rollins, J-O-D-I-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. And um, if you want to write the show, you can write me at BigTimeSmallTalkPodcast at gmail.com. That's BigTimeSmallTalkPodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to leave a voicemail, you can go to Anchor. Dot fm or download the anchor app and click on my show and then click leave a voicemail i love hearing from you guys and sometimes i will play those voicemails on the show so great ways to stay in touch with the show um stay in touch with me follow my stories on instagram i usually post updates and fun stuff about when the next episodes are going to be out and on my instagram i'll post photography and all kinds of things about my travel that's always entertaining, I think. And what else? If you want to support the show financially, you can do that through the Anchor app. You can choose a monthly membership. Every little bit helps. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm trying to think, is there anything else? Oh, please click five stars if you're listening through the Apple podcast. I think there may be other places to rate the show through other sources other than Apple Podcasts, but the majority of my listeners are from that. Click those five stars. It helps out a lot and leave a written review. If you have a moment, a spare moment of your time, please, please, please go ahead and leave that written review. Even if it's just a couple sentences, it'll post in 24 hours. It takes no time at all. So please leave a, a written review. It helps other people decide whether or not they're going to listen. And the more reviews I get, the more relevant people deem you to be when it comes to the world of podcasts. So those are the ways to stay in touch with me and the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So before the break, uh, we're talking systemic racism, we're talking George Floyd, but specifically I was talking about this 
uh, sitcom. And this sitcom, you all know it. And it is the all of the characters are white. And I, I think the 90s version, I'm trying to think if it did have any black characters, I don't remember them. We were always just in the background. And there was a lot of that in the 90s. I've talked about this before. I didn't watch Friends. Like I watched some of it. I was obsessed with Jennifer Aniston's hair. But after a while, I was like, wait a minute, you live in New York City and there are no black people on this show. Like, come on. They would go to the coffee shop and there'd be no black people in the background. And then every now and then you'd see one here or there. And then later on, they hired Jeffrey Hines, who was a famous dancer, tap dancer. And at the very last season, they got, um, I can't remember her name, but a, a comedian, actress, and I think Ross and one of the other characters was in love with her. And they were sort of fighting over the same black woman. But all these organizations would write friends and reach out to friends and say, look, you are doing a show that's in New York City, one of the most diverse melting pots there is. And all you have is white people? Like they didn't expect, you know, Ross to be recast or Jennifer Aniston to be fired and have a black woman or a black guy, but just have us be part of the story, not just the background. And with friends, we weren't even just the background. So for me, it was a big F you. And so I didn't watch it. But the show I'm talking about is, um, uh, what's it called? Oh my God, I just drew a blank. <laughs> oh my God, it's called, um, I am literally having a brain fart. I just got done, by the way, I forgot to mention this to you guys. I got my second COVID vaccine and I've been down for the count for the last two days. So this is like the first thing I've done. Like, I'm not even joking you because I was feverish and aches and pains and just bleh. Okay, but I am definitely feeling, I'd say I'm feeling about mm, 85 to 90%. So I am a little bit off, but okay. So the show I remember now is called Full House. Full House with Candace, Cam Candace Cameron Bure, now is her married name and Jody Sweeten and all those people, Dave, whatever, I don't know, you, you guys know the show, Full House. And they live in San Francisco. Anybody out there, have you been to San Francisco? There's Asian people, black people, Mexican people, Spanish people, all kinds, like a variety of people. It is another melting pot. And so somehow Full House, white, 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 in the 90s. And that was a common thing. And then it was funny because after Full House was Family Matters, which was black, black, black. It was like we had these totally separate but equal shows in the 90s. Like everybody looks back on, you know, Fresh Prince and Family Matters, Urkel and all that. Yay, that's great. But they were shows that had to be all black because there were no parts for us in other shows, the Cosby show, if we didn't make our own shows, white people didn't give us parts. And if they did, we were the token. So then when they did this reboot for um, uh, Family Matt, I'm sorry, Full House, I was watching a couple episodes and they're on Netflix. I think there's three or four seasons. And I don't remember which character it was. There's a couple of them and, th and they do it a lot. They're just like, they give the kids these dumb, you know, sarcastic, like, I don't know, just cheese ball things to say that kids don't actually say. But the kids are like, remember like the original Full House, 
the twins, the Olsen twins, be like, you got it, dude, which is really cheesy. But the updated version was like, they'd say, hey, ain't nobody got time for that. And then the whole laugh track laughs and then something would be ha something would be happening. And one of the cast members would say something like, you know, I ain't going to find me a man. And they all laugh and ha 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 and that's my kind of sister girl you got soul and they just say all these things that are known stereotypical things that people presume black people say and we do that's where stereotypes come from right there's a grain of truth and yet they never have any black people on the show god forbid candace cameron's character dates a black guy god forbid jody sweeten's character dates a black guy or has a best friend who has more than a three character episode or three uh, you know episode arc that's ethnic now i will say they did add a latino but he is a freaking stereotype too he just walks around i think it's a, a all american guy because his accent's terrible and he's like, he walks around going, oh, I'm a Spanish lover. I love you very much. Oh, you're, I want to have your children. And, he, and that character is supposed to be in love with Kimmy. And I'm like, he's a stereotype too. Like you couldn't hire an actual Latino. You can't have people who are all different races. I get it that some parts of white America don't have black friends. I understand that. It's just the way it is. You live places where you don't have black people around you. And then the ones that are around you, you don't know very well. I understand that. But when it comes to art, that means you're choosing not to hire certain types of ethnicities. And that's systemic racism, especially when you're doing See, my dog wants to chime in too, especially when you're doing a show that's in a major city. You know, I just, it's frustrating. And so when things like this George Floyd case happen and he, Derek Chauvin is found, and I apologize for my dog. This is a dog house. I've mentioned this before. So I'm just going to keep going. She'll calm down here. Julie, Julie, stop. Um, when things like this happen and it feels like, oh my gosh, you know, he's found guilty on all three counts. It feels as if black lives matter for just an instant. I know that not everybody is happy about this. And there are some people who are like, well, that's not fair to the police. And he was doing his job and that criminal, blah, 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 blah. I get it. But collectively, most of us, most decent people, even if they turn their backs to systemic racism, saw that video or heard about the video and could say that was murder. See, she agrees. It just, it was like a sigh of relief. It's almost a little sigh of disbelief because I thought, God help us all if he's found not guilty then the whole thing would be lost because you know there'd be marches, peaceful protests, and of course, riots, huge riots all over this country. And the, the lesson behind it would be lost because all the people who don't believe in racism, who don't believe in systemic racism, who don't know black people, who don't really know black people, would be like, see, they're thugs in the street. They can't even take a verdict that they don't like and they're all looting and rioting. 
But thankfully, justice was served. And I know some people were like, well, they're still going to loot and riot because they're going to be celebrating. And to my knowledge, didn't happen. People celebrated peacefully. And I even am reluctant to say the word celebrated because it's sad all the way around. I mean, the fact that this guy murdered somebody is terribly, terribly tragic and sad. But it's also said that a police officer was brought to a place in his life that he thought that that was acceptable, that he did it in broad daylight and somehow thought that this is an okay thing to be doing. Like what goes on in his head that he thinks, well, this is what I can get away with. What didn't we see about Derek Chauvin? What don't we know? Because you don't just wake up one day and kneel on someone so that they no longer breathe and they die. That's something that has to happen over time. That's someone who's gotten away with many, many things. And finally, just thought they'd get away with this too. And they didn't. I think that when I look at all the different posts I saw on social media, and the different varieties of celebrities, black, white, gay, straight, Latino, whatever, Asian. And everybody was sort of united about this. There's so, there's so few things that we in this country are actually united about. It's in our name, for God's sakes, the United States of America. But we saw with Donald Trump as president that we are far, far, far from united. We see that when we talk about race. We see that with people who don't want to talk about race. One of the reasons I don't do um, video podcasts is because this, I believe, is one of the best mediums for talking about uncomfortable subjects. Because if I did a video, you'd be looking at me. What does her face say? What are her eyes saying? What's expression? How does she move? You know, there's distractions. There's all these things to take into consideration, good, bad, or indifferent, when you watch something. But when you listen, it's really about the content. It's about the sound of my voice and the content. And what you think about what I'm saying and how your world interacts with my inter my interacts with my world and what we experience as human beings. And that's it. And I think that when it comes to talking about race, I've spent my life not talking about it. Because when I mean I'm a product of the 70s and 80s. When we were in school, that's what they taught us. Don't shh, don't don't talk about race. Like I said, don't talk about race, religion, politics. It makes people uncomfortable. It does. It is uncomfortable to talk about this with my white friends because some of the stuff they say back to me is heartbreaking, which is always interesting because I'm like, you can be uncomfortable and I can be uncomfortable, but only one of us will be heartbroken because to you, it's just a conversation and then you go back to your regular life. You voting for Donald Trump, well, I know I didn't like all that racist stuff he did, but he was still a good president. I can't divorce the two. You cannot be a racist and a good president. You can't. If Barack Obama said all the nasty crap about white people that Trump said about black people, I wouldn't have supported him. Even though I was like, well, I really like him, like his policies, I wouldn't go, other than the fact that he hates white people, I still like him. 
I couldn't do that. And I had white friend after white friend after white friend or associate that say, yeah, I didn't like all that stuff, but Shannon Sharp, who was a incredibly talented Denver Broncos football player, that was my team. I grew up watching the Denver Broncos, loved, loved, loved them for years. Woohoo, Broncos! Um, I don't really watch that anymore because I was I would watch the the football games and just be so stressed out if we lost and I got way too involved. And after a while, I was like, I've watched football for decades, and my team has won three Super Bowls in my lifetime. I'm good. I'm good. I've gotten. I feel like I got my three Super Bowl rings. Some people never get any, or they only get one, maybe two. I'm good. Now, granted, if you watch, you know, Brady, you get many more rings, but that's beside the point. So anyway, Shannon Sharp, I somehow stumbled across his stumbled across his Instagram and he was talking about how did he put it? I want to make sure I say exactly how he said it. He said, you know what, maybe I can find it on here. Let me just see. I didn't plan on doing this, but let me see if I can find this particular post. Bear with me here for a second. And it's funny because he's got Shannon. Okay, here it is. Shannon Sharp 84. Is it this one? He's got all these different, these um, different posts where he's talking about okay here we go i want to make sure i start it from the beginning so you might hear a blip here for a second okay okay here we go if you say i got black friends and you can't empathize with what the plight that they're going through right now you don't have black friends you know black people there's a difference between the two see that's what that's what we're starting to see when they speak out he the brian erlachers and all these others talk about i got black friends no you know black people because you you lack empathy you see what they're going through you see what's happening and you pretend because it's political if you say i got black again. friends and you can't empathize with what the plight that they're going through right now you don't have black friends you know black people and that's the part i wanted to really get out and a lot of white people will say, but I have black friends. But something is missing when you don't have the empathy. I have never been Mexican. I speak un poquito espanol. I took Spanish in high school and college, and I live in a highly Latino populated area. But I have never been Mexican in my entire life. I've never been Puerto Rican. I've never been Spanish. I've never been anything but black. But when those kids were in cages on the border, I had empathy. When Donald Trump talked about um, bad hombres being rapists and murderous thugs, just a broad sweeping statement about Latino men, I had empathy. And even though I've never been those things, I don't know what it's like to be Mexican, I have empathy and understanding for their plight. I have empathy and understanding for dreamers who were born in this country, you know, because their parents came here to give birth to them, their mom, 
and it had nothing to do with what they could or couldn't control. They just grew up here and now Donald Trump wanted them out of here. I had empathy for that, even though I've never been an immigrant. Never. And so it's hard for me to understand when I have different white friends who have zero empathy for black people and don't want to take the time to open up their eyes and go, holy shit, yes, there is systemic racism here. And it's not the same as saying everyone is racist. And I think what gets lost is the definition. And I forget if I even said it, but I was just talking about it. It's really about when rules and um, the way things are, are built on racism, rules and regulations and laws. And I mean, all of those things and more. I have empathy for people who go through things that I've never been through. I've never been a black guy arrested by the police. I get nervous when the police are going to pull me over, mostly because I don't want to pay for a $200, $300 ticket. I don't generally think that I'm going to be beaten or killed when I get pulled over. So I have like, I don't know, girl, black girl privilege. I get it, but I have empathy for the black man. And so I think it's important for all of us to really see how important yesterday was in history. Because if this had been five, 10, 15 years ago or more, Derek Chauvin would have gotten off. And that would have been it. There would have been riots and people would have just blamed black people. It was a criminal. Maybe, maybe video wouldn't have been taken. It was a criminal. He was fighting back. Derek Chauvin was fighting for his life and he did what he had to do. And unfortunately that guy died. That's what would have happened. So as difficult as all of this is to hear, to talk about, it's important to keep talking about it. Talk about it with your kids. Obviously you don't wanna talk about murder with your kids, but talk about race with your kids and your teenagers. It's uncomfortable. But how do you get comfortable with something? You do more of it if you, try to pick up surfing and you expect that you're going to be surfing the waves like a champ the first time you do it, you're sadly mistaken. What do you do? You practice, you take lessons, you get out there and you do it every day. You do it as often as you can. You do it as often as it makes sense. And then you get better at it and you get more comfortable. The same is dealing with and accepting and understanding. And when I say accepting, I mean, accepting that it's there, but trying to help it not be there. Racism. I think so often white people feel like they're blamed and so they're defensive. If you say systemic racism, white people go, so you're saying everyone's racist and I'm a racist? And that's all they hear and they don't wanna hear anything else. It's the word right in there, the system. The system is built that way. What system? Many systems, social justice, you know, the police system, political system. We can, we can look at race, we can look at class, 
all the ways the political system fails us. If you're not wealthy in this country, you cannot run for political office, high political office. You just can't. Good luck. So when I think about the fact that this jury that found Chauvin guilty, to my understanding, was of white people, black people, all different races. That's a beautiful thing that we were able to, race was able to be transcended. You know, a study that I often mention, and I think I'll probably never forget it, came out and I saw it, uh, I think I saw it online somewhere, and it said that most people will never have true empathy about racism unless they love that person. So if you're a white person and you're in an interracial relationship, or if you're a white person who has maybe a step-parent that you love that's of a different race, if you're truly invested in someone, if you have a best friend, like a really close friend, not the guy in the office or the girl at your gym or your neighbor, somebody that you kind of know and you talk to and you like, somebody that you deeply care about. That's where the empathy usually is. And that made me kind of sad because not everybody's going to love someone of a different race. Some people won't do it, and some people it just doesn't happen. That doesn't make you a bad person if you're a white person and you marry a white man, white woman. It's just what happened. And maybe you'll never have a different race relative or a really close friend who is of a different race. So according to this study, if that's the only way to really get people's minds opened up and empathy, then how are we going to truly grow? to truly change, I don't know. But yesterday was a huge step in the right direction. Yesterday couldn't have happened when I was born. Yesterday couldn't have happened when I was 20. Yesterday wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. In fact, I truly believe Yesterday wouldn't have happened five years ago. So I think things are changing. And it's funny because I, I watch a lot of British shows. I'm really into The Crown. I don't know if you guys have watched that. Oh, so good. Especially the first two seasons. They switch queens on you. And I'm like, really? I fell in love with the actress Claire, Claire Foy playing the queen. And then they switched her to a totally different actress. And I'm like, man. But I mean, the next actress is good too. But, and you see like the history of Britain and it's so much older history than ours and the old architecture and the pomp and circumstance and how young America really is. Like we are still young. Granted, we say, well, slavery was 400 years ago, but in the scheme of things, 400 years ago wasn't that long ago. The accent that people make fun of. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's how black people talk. That is from slavery. Black people were not allowed to have education. We were not allowed to be taught how to read. So we had to come up with our own language. And I ain't going to be going to that store. That is left over from slavery. 
So we are still a young nation. We are still going through growing, growing pains. The hashtag me too stuff, that's still new too. When I was a kid, it was like, oh, a boy grabbed your butt. Not so much a kid, but like a young teenager. You know, boys will be boys. Now they're like, no, that isn't acceptable. He cannot grab your butt unless you give him permission. So things are changing. It changes slowly. The pendulum swings slowly. And chances are that the changes that I seek won't happen till after I am dead and gone. But I see the positives right now. It is very easy to be caught in the negative of it all and to be pessimistic and to think there's no hope, but I actually disagree. As much as there are still black men being killed in the streets, we don't get the videos of the black men who aren't. I believe that there are some cops who go to sleep at night and they go, I'm going to do better the next day. And they get up and they do their job to the best of their ability and they don't kill anybody. They, they didn't have any plans to. No one's patting them on the back for not doing it. But they don't. They think twice because they're like, I don't want to be on the news. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to have death threats. Whatever their motivation is, they don't kill another black man. And I believe that with this case, this Derek Chauvin case, this is a step in the right direction. So many white people I saw on the news that were like, my eyes are opened. I have a lot more to learn, but it wasn't just about being defensive and like, not all white people are racist. And let me be clear, I don't think that all white people are racist. I don't think that all black people have all the answers. I think that we are a mishmash of many things. But slowly but surely, and slower than I would like, I truly in my heart of heart believe that times are changing for the better. That we are understanding each other more from a racial perspective. That we are having the uncomfortable conversations more. More of them. And that's a start. The fact that you guys are listening to me. A lot of my audience is white. To me. There's beauty in that. And I'm grateful. And so, bit by bit, we have to find the positives and keep on trucking. Thank you to that jury that found that man guilty. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it.